while the kids are leaving, I want to take this time to wish y'all a happy Mother's Day. Where would we be without moms, right? Well, we wouldn't be. <laughs> so, also while they're going, I just want to take some a little bit of time to just because uh, we've had some technical difficulties in here this morning. Am I on? Okay, good. Um, want to uh, take some time just to show you some of the things that's in the bulletin. Uh, so, if you want to take this out, you can follow along with me. Um, all during the month of May, we're talking a lot about starting point. And you can go to Guest Central and you can pick up a bookmark about Starting Point. It tells all about it. Um, but Starting Point are for people that maybe just have the cellophane still on their Bibles, people that are just brand new to God and church and Jesus. And also is for people who've been out of church for a while or maybe you've been in church all your life, but you don't know how everything kind of fits together. Um, I would encourage you to go by Guest Central and sign up for Starting Point. It's a 10-week class that happens during one of our worship hours about a half mile down the street in our church offices. So I would encourage you to do that. Also, we're doing a baptism service next Sunday. Now, this is going to rock your face off, all right? We're doing them here at the movie theater in a vat of popcorn butter. No, I'm joking. Um, but we are doing it here in the movie theater in between the 9 o'clock and the 10.30 service. So at about 10.15, we are going to have like a huge big old trough out here, not a dunking booth that you've got to throw balls at, all right? Um, but if you would like to be baptized, we need you to go by Guest Central and sign up to be baptized. Um, we're going to be doing it about once a month during the summer, and uh, I would encourage you to be able to do that. Uh, uh, one of the things that's really particular here at One Church is we want to be able to hear your story. So uh, during the next week, if you sign up to be baptized for this coming Sunday, uh, you need to come out of the offices so that we can videotape your story. And it's usually about a minute, minute and a half long, so you can do that. Also, uh, we have a canoe trip coming up, one church canoe trip on Memorial Day. Uh, if you're interested, go canoeing with us and swamping those canoes down the Red River about 15 miles away from here. Uh, you can go and sign up for that as well. And um, last thing is the Family Times Virtue Packs. Uh, some of you think, what are, what are you teaching my kids? Well, this week, uh, it's on patience. And as you can see, I don't know if you can see that if you have your bifocals on, patience. Waiting until later for what you want now. And what's so cool about these family time virtue packs, they cost five bucks. I think they cost, it, cost us ten, but we want to make everything really cheap for you guys. And you can buy these, and uh, you can work with your kids all during the month. There's CDs in here that has songs of what they're singing. It has uh, uh, stuff that you can sit around the the supper table, and you can talk about patience with them, and they're also available at Guest Central. So um, let's just dig right in, and uh, let's pray before we do that. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for how you love us. We thank you so much that we're spending some time talking about uh, your text message, the Bible. And Lord, I pray that every word that is said today would give you glory, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We said last week that all of us read our text messages. None of us say, you know what, I don't really read text messages because I'm not a reader. That category doesn't really exist because if you get a text message, what do you do? You read it. You look at it. Exactly right. Well, then we started asking the question, what if we got a text message from God? Would we read it? And we would say, yeah, because we always read our text messages. Well, we talked about that we really have gotten a text message from God. It's called the Bible. But many people don't read the Bible because they say this. I'm really not a reader. And we talked about last week, what if 
God was more interested in saying something to you rather than doing something for you because all of us have those prayers, Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me this, give me that. But the whole point of this series that we're doing for the next three weeks is so that we can unearth, hey, you need to read the Bible. It's kind of a novel concept. So um, we're going to do any and everything, including me standing on my head uh, one Sunday. Make sure to miss that one. Um, But we're just going to encourage you to be able to read the Bible. And one of the things, starting point's a great way. Also, we give away free Bibles here at One Church. And if you don't have a Bible, you can go to Guest Central and get one. And we're not even going to ask you to pay for it, because we really want to be able to give you God's Word. And we want you to do this to it. Dude, that's good. All right? So, um, today we're going to be talking about this text message, the Bible. Can it be trusted? Is it reliable? Because you and I have both... We've heard somebody's friend of a friend who actually read it and said, you know what, it's just a bunch of fairy tales. It kind of contradicts one itself. There's holes in it. It can't be, you know, it's been proven wrong. You can't prove it scientifically. You know, it's just, it, 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 it contradicts itself. And the thing about it is when people usually tell me that, you know what that tells me? They've not read it. Because if you read it, you would probably know that it could be trusted. But today, we're going to be looking at this and we're going to be putting... Uh, three tests to this Bible. Three tests, because it can be proven. You can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that bu- the Bible is God's Word. But see, most people, they want to dismiss it with their heart, not with their head, because they usually use their noggins. They say, yeah, it's true. So let's dig into that. Before we do it, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Great verse says this. It says, Some scripture... Is God breathed? Is that what it says? Nope. It says all. All Scripture is God breathed. That word God breathed, it's like the, a balloon, a kid blowing into a balloon. You're blowing it and it gets bigger and bigger. That's the, that's the word here. It's God breathed. It's theonumatos. That's the Greek. Aren't you going, dude, what did he just call me? All right. Anyway. But um, it, it means God breed, and it is useful. Man, have y'all ever, uh, ladies, you ever bought anything from QVC for nineteen ninety five? Maybe it was that silver bullet. You got it home, and it, it was promising the world. You got it home, and it, it, it's just sitting there because it don't do what it's promised, right? It's not useful. The Bible is useful, all right? It is useful. Guys, you got any tools that you don't use? All right? I mean, you got that tool, it just doesn't do what it was promised. This, God's Word, does what it says it will do, and it will change your life. God's Word, all Scripture, is God-breathed, and it is useful for four things. For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. To what point? So that the man or the woman of God, the person of God, may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. What that's saying is this. That God, what He calls you to do, you can actually do if you do what He says to do. And the only way you can do what He says to do is to read what He says for you to read. And that is the Bible. So, you get into this book, it will change your life, and it will equip you. It will equip you. Now, let's look at some facts about this book. Fact number one. Did you know this book is the most best-selling book in the world? 
You look at the uh, New York Times bestseller list, you know, Dan Brown, Daniel Steele may be up there. But Stephen King, it looks on the bottom, it says, they may, it may say it's number one, but it really ain't. Because the Bible is the best-selling book. I mean, hands down. Next fact, that the, this book is the most shoplifted book in the world. Seriously, I've had people steal Bibles out of my trucks before, and I'm thinking, dude, you need it, you know? Read Exodus 18. Don't steal, all right? All right. So, all right. Uh, here's another cool thing, that this book is not really a book. It's a library of 66 books. In fact, even of those 66 books, some of them aren't books. Some are books, but some are letters. Uh, you know, you know, dear so-and-so, this is what you need to be doing, love so-and-so. They're letters. And we're going to be talking next week about what, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament and putting all of the pieces together. And This is the 39 books here and the 27 books here, and here's a letter, and here's what props. I mean, if you're like, what? Then come next week because we're going to be putting all those pieces together, and you're going to get kind of a bird's-eye view of what God's Word looks like. So it's a library of 66 books. Another thing, that there are 773,692 words in this book. And that if you read it out loud, the average person, it would take you 70 hours to read out loud. 70 hours. Well, that doesn't sound like a long time. But yet, if we really did a poll in here, and you were honest, majority of us say, I've never read it all the way through. One thing, my wife and I have been talking. She says, I want to read the Bible all the way through this year. So she's starting. She's got a little plan that she's working through. Even last night, she was laying in bed reading it. She's wanting to go all the way through the Bible. Um, another cool thing about the book, and we're going to look, be looking at this next week if you turn to your table of contents, especially next week, we're going to see that these 66 books were written in a 1,500-year time span over 40 different generations with 40 different authors. You've got kings writing this. You've got poor people writing this. You've got farmers writing this. You've got royalty writing this. You have people writing this. Jeremiah was in a dungeon when he wrote it. Paul was in a jail cell when he wrote his letters. Luke, the doctor, this physician, was traveling all over the world writing stuff. You've got people from all walks of life, different, over 40 different authors, writing this one book we call the Bible. And they wrote it in over 13 different countries. Spanning three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, in three different languages. The Old Testament, that's the first part of your Bible, was written in mainly in a language called Hebrew. And a little small portion of the Old Testament was written in a language called Aramaic. And then in the New Testament, it was written in a language, anybody know? Greek. That's right, it's Greek to me. It's exactly right, all right? So that's how it kind of spans out. We're really going to be looking at this more next week. But let's look at some of these tests. Can it really be trusted? The first test we're going to be looking at is the internal test. And this asks the question, do the writers of these books, these 66 books, do they claim that their writings are true? Do they claim that their writings are true? All right? Did they just think, hey, this is a fairy tale I just made up? Did they say that? Or do they say, no, I've I seen this. I was a part of it. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Now, Peter was one of those letters we were talking about. And does anybody know who wrote Peter? Hey, y'all are good. That's right. 2 Peter was written by Peter. And this is what 
Peter writes in his letter. He says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we, were, when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were, what is that next word? Eyewitnesses. What does it mean to be an eyewitness? That's right. You've seen it with your own eyes. Or if you're Mike Wazowski, you've seen it with your own eye, right? So, those who laughed are mothers who have kids, all right? So, Peter's saying, you know what? I saw it. I was there. When he fed 5,000, I helped pass out the bread. When he walked on water, I was there and I saw him. In fact, I walked on water too. Um, when, uh, you know, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, this dude, this mummy came out and he stank. I was there when Jesus was crucified. He says, I saw it all. Now, here's the cool thing about it. Not only did, could Peter say that, but the, the New Testament was written in, from 47 A.D. to about 95 A.D. You have an entire generation of people who saw this as well. And one of them could have said, you know what, you say it was 5,000, but I saw there was only three people there. They could have said that, but they didn't because everybody knew it to be true. So this test, the, the, the internal test, the Bible passes with flying colors because he says this is God's Word. Let's look at the next one. The next one stokes me. It's called the external test. And this asks the question, what does outside evidence say about the Bible? Okay, the Bible claims to be true. Okay, got it. All right? There may be a little biased. All right? What about what other people say? What does the, the external evidence say? Well, we're going to look at it. The first one is the non-biblical writings. You know, it's, beyond, it's proven beyond a shadow of a fact that Jesus actually did live. When you get people who detract from Jesus, they don't detract from the fact that he lived. Because, I mean, it's irrefutable evidence that he lived. You have Roman writers, people who did not, weren't a part of this Christian thing. You have Jewish writers, you have Greek writers, all talking about there was this dude named Jesus, and he did a lot of good things. He did a lot of miracles. He was a great teacher. And he, I mean, all the people who were following the way. In fact, one of the Jewish writers, his name was Josephus. Uh, the Romans said, you know what, uh, Josephus, I want you to write a history of the, old, of the Jewish people before we wipe you all out. And uh, he wrote this history going all the way back from uh, Genesis to the, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, all this stuff. And, and, and all the way up, he mentions Jesus, Josephus does. He mentions John the Baptist. He even mentions James, the half-brother of Jesus. So he mentions all of these different people. So that's the extra-biblical sources. The next part, <laughs> rocks. And this is the archaeological evidence. I'm kind of a geek. I love history. Um, I love reading. And uh, I'm really passionate about what I'm getting ready to show you now because I've seen most of this stuff with my own eyes. I spent a little over a month in Israel, and it was just cool. And this next part, I want to look at and show you what the archaeological evidence says. Now, granted, back in the 1800s, all these biblical critics, all these Bible critics said, you know, it's all myth and fairy tale. They could say that because they did not have a lot of archaeological evidence to support the Bible. Um, before, um, you know, a certain time, they didn't know, uh, they didn't have any archaeological evidence. The Pilate, this is the Roman dude who killed Jesus. Um, uh, this is the Roman dude who said, you know, you're going to die. They had no archaeological evidence that Pilate ever existed. Um, here's another thing. They had no archaeological evidence about King David. Y'all know David, you know, with the slingshot and Goliath and all that. 
uh, they had no archaeological evidence outside biblical sources that David ever existed. So all of the Bible critics are going, see, it's just a myth. It's just a fairy tale. Well, the 20th century has given us a whole plethora of archaeological evidence that we can go like this to people. All right? So let's do that. Uh, The first one is this. Remember I told you there was no archaeological evidence uh, that Pilate ever existed? Well, in Caesarea, this town by the seashore, and I've actually seen this, um, there is this huge stone that Pilate is mentioned, the first extra-biblical source that Pilate was, in fact, a real dude. This was found back in 1961 in the town of Caesarea. So everybody goes, okay, I guess Pilate's a real dude. Next. All right? All right, let's go next. All right, this next one, this is uh, called the, ta- uh, the, the Tel Dan Stele. I've seen this one as well. This was found in a northern city in Israel called Dan, and this gives the first archaeological evidence that David ever existed. It mentions King David in here. And this was found back in 1993, so it's fairly recent. And everybody goes, well, okay, I guess David existed. Really? The Bible's been saying that for thousands of years, amazingly enough. All right, let's keep on going. This next one, the bomb. Have you all ever heard of the, the dude named Jeremiah? Have you all heard, he wrote a book. It's called Jeremiah. That's right. Well, Jeremiah, he, um, he actually didn't write the book. He tell, he's telling this, this fella to write the book, so he's dictating. In fact, this is what Jeremiah 36, 4 and 5 says. So Jeremiah called his best friend buddy Baruch, son of Neriah, and while Jeremiah dictated the words of the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them on a scroll. That's pretty neat. All right? Well, just happened. 586 B.C. Now, this is like almost 600 years before Jesus. All right? Before Jesus uh, was around, um, people came in and destroyed Jerusalem where they were at. And all the paper, all the scrolls got burned up. Well, this is so cool. The scroll that Baruch wrote on, we don't have anymore because it's made of paper. And, you know, when you, you know, paper and fire, you know. All right. But the seal, the little clay seal that they would put on outside of the scroll survived. Because when you get clay close to fire, what happens? Hardens. That's exactly right. This, this seal right here says Baruch, the son of Neriah, Jeremiah's scribe. That rocks. All right? Do we have the original? No, but we got the dude's seal that he put on the outside of the document. That's cool. All right? Let me show you another one. These next two finds are still kind of controversial because we don't know if they're actual forgeries or if they're real, but most people are thinking that they're real, especially the second one. I'll tell you what it is. This is called an ossuary. Now, what is an ossuary? Ossuary is a fancy name for a bone box. So let's say... Um, your Aunt Nellie dies. By the way, if you have an Aunt Nellie here, sorry. All right, but Aunt Nellie passes away. What you do is you would open up the tomb, you know, just kind of like a, they put Jesus in, and they have these that little small, they almost kind of look like bunk beds type of thing, and you would, put the, you would put the body in there, you would close the tomb, and after a year, you would reopen the tomb, and all the flesh would be gone, and it would just be bones. Aunt Nellie lost some weight, all right? So they would take this bone box, this ossuary, and they would take all the bones and they would rake her bones into this bone box so that they could reuse the tomb, you know, the little beds in the tomb, all right? This is an ossuary 
of Caiaphas, the high priest, the Jewish leader, who wanted to get Jesus killed and eventually succeeded. That's what it says in Hebrew on the end. Caiaphas. And we think it was the high priest during that time. It's scribbled on there, so they don't know if it's the actual truth. This next one, by the way, that was found in 1990. This next one was found in 2002. Now, this one's cool. They really do think this is the authentic thing. Let me tell you what this is. I want to read it to you. This is the ossuary of James. James who? Well, at the end it says, and I don't know if you can read this. Of course you can. It's Hebrew. Sorry. Um, anyway, but it says this, the inscription, James, the son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. That's cool. So the fellow who wrote the book of James, yeah, got his bone box. All right? Bones, long gone, all right? But it's cool. This is something that's very, you need to understand. I want to read this because I I can't overemphasize this enough. Every archaeological discovery has proven the Bible to be true. Not one archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference, ever. That's cool because all of the external evidence goes, yeah, I guess it's true. All right, next one. Let's look at the third test, and this is the duplication test. And this is the question, this is what it says. How well were the original documents translated or copied today? They didn't have Xerox machines. You couldn't go down to Kinko's. Say, I'd like to have five copies of the scroll of Isaiah. All right, couldn't do that. So what they would do is they would take the original. By the way, this is uh, Hebrew. All right, this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Barashit bara Elohim et Haretz. It's the in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. They would take the original. They would set it down. They would get a clean piece of paper, papyrus, and they would start copying it every time. And every time they came to the word Lord, they would put down their pen and they would pick up a new pen because God's name was so sacred to them. All right? So as they were writing down, then after they would write it down, they would count out the middle word of the in the middle letter of the middle word of the entire book. And then they would do that on the copy. And if it didn't match up, they would wad the copy up, they would throw it away, and it would be done. If if it did match up, then on every page they would count the number of words, they would count the number of words of the copy, they would find out which is the middle word, the middle letter, and if it matched up, great. And if there was one mistake, it was it was thrown away, it was burned because it wasn't worthy. Now, this is so cool because, and I, and I, I wish I had some visuals so that the Old Testament, the front half of your Bible, the oldest recollection, the oldest uh, existing manuscripts of the originals we have was dates to about 1,000 A.D. Now, that's 1,000 years after Jesus, all right? This is only 1,000 years ago. But it happened hundreds more years ago beyond that. You think, well, how come it's 1,000 A.D.? Why don't you have anything earlier? Well, because they would wear out, um, and when they wore out, it's kind of like of our flag. When the flag gets ripped or torn, what happens? What do we do with it? We burn it. That's exactly right. What they would do is they would either burn it or they would bury the scriptures if they get um, if they get too worn out. But first, they would copy them. This is so cool. Back in 1947, we there's this young shepherd boy. He's throwing rocks in caves, rocks in caves. Here's one of the caves he was throwing rocks in. He's throwing rocks in caves and he's throwing it clump. Clunk. He throws another one. He hears a shatter. He goes in and he sees all of these jars. 
everywhere. And inside the jars, there's stuff, scrolls, on, written in Hebrew. He's going, huh, what happened? Well, back in 70 A.D., this is about the time that Paul was living, a little after Jesus was living, the Romans, yeah, I told you, wanted to just kill all the Jews. Well, they said, you know what, uh, they're going to come down, and they're at the Dead Sea, this community. The Romans are going to come down and get ready to wipe them out. Before they did, they took all of the Bible, all the Old Testament, and they put them in these little jars, and they hid them in the caves. These people were destroyed by the Romans. But in 1947, this shepherd boy found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what's amazing about this is every book of the Bible, the first 30, uh, 39 books of the Bible was found, except for one, Esther. Um, every one of these books were found, and when you compare them, written in 70 A.D., to the ones we have 1,000 A.D., they're almost exactly the same, if not identical. What does that tell us? The, the, the copies that we have are they're great copies. And we can look at this and we can say, this is God's Word. I can believe it. It pl- passes with flying colors the duplica- duplication test. I want to hit this and then i got to go. By the way, this is the scroll of Isaiah found in the Dead Sea in, the, in one of those, uh, rolled up in one of those jars. It's really cool. I've seen this. If you stretched it out, it would go from this side of the screen to the other. It's that big, but not as tall. <laughs> anyway, all right. Um, the next one is this. How many of y'all ever read, uh, you ever heard a dude named Homer? You read the Odyssey or the Iliad? Did that in high school, did you? Um, yeah, that's a good reading right there. All right. You know, outside of the Bible, the most reliable extra-biblical source we have of history is Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. And we have 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. And, by the way, it was written 500 years after it happened. And so everybody believes, okay, Homer was a real dude, and we have 643 copies to prove that he's a real dude. All right? Next one, Plato's Republic. Have you ever heard of a a philosopher named Plato? Any of y'all? All right? Here is, we have seven copies, so that we only have seven copies to prove that this dude was ever alive, a real dude, and it was written 1,300 years after Plato died. So, I mean, imagine if I asked you, hey, would you mind writing a history book of what happened 1,300 years ago? Could you do it? I couldn't. All right? So next one, Aristotle. We have five copies that say Aristotle was a real dude who actually lived. And it was written 1,400 years after Aristotle died. All right? Look at Julius Caesar. How many of y'all ever heard of Caesar? All right? All of us, right? We have ten copies that prove that Julius Caesar was actually a human being and lived, and it was written a thousand years after he died. Uh, how many of y'all heard of Alexander the Great? Okay, everybody has, right? You've seen the terrible movie, all right, um, with Colin Farrell. Alexander the Great, the only extra biblical, excuse me, the only, um, excuse me, I'm messing this up. The only proof we have that Alexander the Great ever lived in, when it comes to writing is this dude by the name of Thucydides. I mean, everybody says Alexander the Great was a real dude. We got one known copy that says there's this dude named Alexander the Great, and it was written 1,300 years after the fact. Are you sitting down? We don't have five copies of the Bible. We don't have 1,500 copies of the Bible. We don't have 15,000 copies of the Bible. We have over 24,000 copies of the Bible. And most of them, especially in the New Testament, was written 100 and 150 years after it actually happened. 
not a thousand. What does that tell us? It can be trusted. It's reliable. You can read this. You can believe in this. So read it. All right? Last thing, and I've I, I got to hit this because I'm running long. I, I'm becoming a long-winded preacher. Forgive me. All right? This next one, I heard about this, and I'm going to talk about prophecy because prophecy is saying what's going to happen in the future. All right? Um, this is kind of cool. Israel ceased to be a nation in 586 B.C. They sprang up and became a nation again in 1948 with the result of World War II. And the Bible predicted it would happen. Do you know how many other nations have ceased to be and have come back again? You know how many? Zilcho, my friend. None. I heard that, and that's when I said, God can be trusted. And God predicted that 3,000 years ago. Amazing. All right, think about this. There are over 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ that were written 600 years before he ever was born. Um, there was this dude by the name of Peter Stoner who was a, a, a scientist and a mathematician. And he says, okay, what if we took those 300, what if we just took eight of them and say, okay, of these eight, of these eight, what is the probability, the odds, that these eight prophecies would come true in one man? So here we see some prophecies, all right? Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, uh, betrayed by a friend, casting lots for his clothing, all of this stuff. Just eight of those. I mean, there's more than eight there. What are the probability that eight would come true? And here's what Peter Stoner said. It's just cool. The probability is one-tenth of the 17th power. Let me tell you what that looks like, my friends. It doesn't look like my checking account number. All right? There it is. That's the probability of just eight of those coming true in one person. And 300 of them came true in one person. Now, leave that number up there. Let me show you the probability of you getting hit by lightning. 709,000 of you getting hit by lightning. What about, okay, the odds of the lottery look good for you? All right. The odds of the lottery are 5,245,786. I don't even know what this number is. There's too many zeros. All right? But that's the odds of it. Let me illustrate it this way, and I've got to close with this one. Man, I, it gets me excited. Peter Stoner put it this way. He says, what if you took a silver dollar and you put a red X on it and you dropped it somewhere over the entire state of Texas? Doesn't matter. Lubbock, um, Panhandle, Dallas, Plano, Texarkana, El Paso, anywhere. Anywhere in the state of Texas, that one silver dollar with X on it. Drop it. And then you take silver dollars and you blanket the entire state of Texas with two feet worth of silver dollars. Two feet. All right? And then you take that person and they, you blindfold them and you send them out and you say, go find that one with the red X. And they're walking for miles, hundreds of miles, maybe walking for months. And when he gets to the spot that he thinks where that one silver dollar with the red X is, he reaches his hand down through two feet of silver dollars that covers the entire state of Texas and he pulls it out. You think that's going to happen? All right? But that is what happens when just eight of those prophecies come true with Jesus and 300 have come true. Man, my point, people, is you can believe it. Read it. Read it. It will change your life. It, it will change your life. 
And hear me, you may be here and you may be one of those people, I just don't know if I can believe. I understand that. But my, don't, be, don't just be saying, you know what, it's just, it's just it's, it can't be believed. Open it up and read it. Because I promise you, if you read it and say, I'm going to prove that this is wrong, God is going to prove to you that this is right. And it will change your life. It will change your life. Let's pray. Dear God, you are wonderful. You are awesome. Lord, I know there's a lot of stuff we threw out today, a lot of Bible stuff and statistics. And Lord, the whole point of that is that you spoke to us. You have given us a text message that you want us to read. And Lord, I pray that we would read it. Lord, that we would just be able to get so into your word and your word gets into our lives that our life will begin to be changed. And that we will be able to see, yeah, if I can trust you in this area of my life, if I can trust you in this small area of my marriage, that maybe I can trust you with my eternity. I pray for this people here, God, this people at One Church, that we would be people of the book, that we would read your Bible. We love you, Jesus Christ, God's Word. In Jesus' name that we pray.